We pray, Father, it is amazing that you love us, that you sent your Son. As we stand in awe of that great gift of your great love, teach us now and open our hearts to receive your word. In your name we pray, amen. Jesus encounters, that's been our theme so far during Lent, how Exciting, thrilling to watch Jesus encounter Satan himself and face down his temptations. How heart-wrenching to watch him go into his own father's house to come to you and me and, and find sin and cleanse it. How, how difficult to see one of his own followers, Peter, stand in opposition uh, to Jesus and to know that sometimes we do that too. Those are the encounters we've looked at so far. But today, we're going to step outside these walls. We're going to step out into the world. And we're going to talk about not what would Jesus do, but what did Jesus do? What does he do as he encounters this world? Now, now what do I mean? What do I mean by world? Well, I could be talking about God's beautiful creation, right? We all stand in awe of the high mountains, the, the deep canyons, the, the, the vast oceans, the abundant plains, and, and at the same time we all worry, don't we, about, about pollution, about uh, rainforests stripped bare, about the fact you can't even go into the Rocky Mountains and, and drink the, the clean water without getting sick. Maybe I, I could be talking about the world of history. There, World history is, a, I love history. I, that's my favorite subject other than theology. And, and world history is full of great human achievement and it's full of also great human sin. And, and right now we're all, one, our culture at least is wondering what you do with that. Do you cancel it? Do you, do you just keep the things you like or do you learn from it? Could be the world of politics and economics. There are people who just eat that stuff up. Political junkies who can't get enough of the news and who want to argue and fight over that subject any chance that they get. And then there are others who, watching the news, gets us depressed, discouraged, and we just want to turn it off, right? And not watch. Could be the world of health, that's been in the news. This pandemic has affected the whole world, hasn't it? Right? And the truth of the matter is, is that the world ahead of us is much different now than the world behind us was. Could be talking about spirituality, spiritual health of the world, couldn't we? Out of even this, there have been a lot of good things. Somebody pointed out the other day that two week, two years, a year ago when we did the two weeks to flatten the curve, there were families spending way more time with each other than they ever spent in a long time. And that was a good thing, or the fact that we're live streaming. But there also has been a detrimental effect 
on faith. And while many are coming back to the church, the reality is there are many who will not come back. When you talk about the world, you get a mixed bag, don't you? Well, what does the world mean in the Gospel of John? In John's Gospel, the term world refers to everything in this world that is alienated from and hostile to God. Everything in this world that seduces us to turn away from God. That's kind of a stark definition, isn't it, of the, the term world. That's how, he, that's how John uses it, even here in John 3.16. And that's, that's the world we meet, isn't it? I mean, you, you turn on the TV, you go to the movies, and you see wickedness and evil and, and all sorts of stuff portrayed as if it's okay. You can't turn on the news without hearing about some celebrity who's attacking the faith or some congressman who for some reason thinks that a person of faith disqualifies that person from being a judge. You encounter it. On TV, you counter it at work, you counter it at school, from our government, you encounter it from our neighbors. Not, not just different faith, not just indifference to the faith, but in our world today you encounter open hostility to the faith, right? That's what this word world is referring to. You may think that's new now, but it was here also in Jesus' day, right? You remember, I uh, one time told you I was on a, sitting in a golf cart, and I haven't been able to swing because I can't hardly now get my hand, arm up, but I came to a, a hole, and I said to the guy with me, I told him, I said, I hate this hole. And he looked at me, he said, Pastor, hate is an awfully strong word for a Golf course. <laughs> he was right. But that strong word is the one Jesus uses about the world. The world cannot hate you. He's talking to people who didn't believe in him in this text. The world cannot hate you, he says, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. John 15 says to us as his followers, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Strong words. But lest, lest you and I become a little bit self-righteous, I want you to remember the last two weeks of sermons. The most insidious place in which the world and its hatred rears its ugly head is in us, in our sin, in our hypocrisy. Yeah, the world comes in those doors, and we bring it. Now, Jesus encountered the world in opposition to him. The Bible says he came into the world, right? And the world was made by him, 
that the world would not know him. And then it says he came even to his own people. And his own people would not receive him. Think about how the opposition of the world played out in Jesus' lives. Two weeks ago, we saw one of his own friends, one of the twelve, Peter, stand in opposition to the very mission that Jesus had come for. Jesus, one time in John 9, he, he healed a man born blind. Who would oppose that? And yet, we're told that the people, the leaders, they said, this man is not from God. They said, for he does not keep the Sabbath. He, he healed on the Sabbath. Oh, my goodness. One time, having cast out demons, they accused him of being in league with Satan. They said, scribes who came down from Jerusalem for saying he is possessed by Beelzebub and by the prince of demons. He cast out demons. And when he called the religious leaders hypocrites and a brood of vipers, when he laid bare their lies and their false teachings, they decided he had to die. And then the opposition crescendoed, didn't it? And they got one of his own to betray him. And another friend denied him, and all of them deserted him. Soldiers from the temple. Think about that. Soldiers from his own father's house came to arrest him. They paid people to lie at his trial. The religious leaders spit in his face. Pilate, the government, tried him, found him not guilty, and sentenced him to die anyway. The soldiers whipped him, beat him, crowned him with thorns. They took him out, and they nailed him to a cross. And while he hung there for six hours suffering, they made fun of him. Jesus lived out the truth of his own words. From John, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. How did God respond to a world that hated him? I want you to think about that. Because you know this Bible verse like the back of your hand. But I want you to hear what it says in the context of what you now know that word world means. 
God responds to this world and its hatred is to love the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that he should not perish. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, there are lots of words in the Greek for love. But this one is the most powerful. The Greek word here is agape. Agapeo. That means love in spite of. It means love unconditionally. In spite of the world's sin, God loved the world. Loved the world so much that he gave his son. Isn't that amazing? That's his response to the world. Jesus didn't turn Judas away when he came to betray him with a kiss. Right? After Peter had denied him, Jesus went and found him later and forgave him. He didn't put up a fight. When they, when they lied about him, he said nothing in his own defense. Didn't call on any witnesses for the defense. Never once, even though he could have, did he call on his father for 12 legions of angels to defend him. No, Jesus surrendered. He endured it all. He allowed them to nail him to the cross. No one takes my life from me, he said. I lay it down of my own accord. It was his love that nailed him to the cross, not those nails. And there on the cross, he prayed for the very people who hammered the nails home. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. That's how Jesus encounters the world. And that's how he responds when he encounters the world in you and me. He loves us. He has done for you and me what he did today for Colby. And he did that knowing everything there would be to know about you. Everything he knows about Colby's life ahead of him. He adopted us. Washed us clean. Forgave us. He paid the price for our sins before we'd ever sinned. Think about that. You know, I've told you many times about Gory Ten Boom and that guard, and I, I think often about that guard, that Nazi guard from the concentration camp and the hurtful, terrible things he had done. And what was God's response? To forgive him. Isn't that amazing? Whatever you have ever said, or done, 
a thought. He forgives. He loves you. That's his response to you. That's how God wants you and me to respond to the world. To love the world. I know, I know, it's easy to see the things happening and get angry and defensive and I want my rights and I should be treated better and I deserve better and all of that. But folks, that is not our mission. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. God sends you and me into the world to carry his work forward. You know, a few years ago in the Lutheran Witness, there was an article about a man I imagine he's since passed, who served as a Lutheran chaplain during World War II. And after the war, he was assigned, he was an LCMS, Missouri Synod chaplain, he was assigned to Nuremberg. And his job was to minister to the Nazi war criminals waiting for trial and to share God's love and gospel with them. That's our mission. That's the job God gives to us. I want you to think about our new, our new vision statement. Fishes of men will be an open-armed family of believers focused on equipping the next generations in Christ. You know, a few years ago, I was struggling with somebody that I really had a hard time liking. And a friend of mine said, Wayne, what's your, what's your picture of God's grace. And well, somebody, when my dad had died, had given me a picture of, of Jesus. And you could see the back of the person. He was hugging and welcoming somebody into heaven. And I said, I picture that. I picture, I picture Jesus' open arms embracing me and welcoming me and loving me. And then he said, okay, Wayne, this person you struggle with I want you to see him standing off to the side in that picture. What do you suppose Jesus would do? I laughed. I said, well, he'd open his arms and invite him into the hug. Folks, that's our mission, to be God's open arms. Inviting those around us into his embrace. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life that is everlasting. Amen.